everybody welcome to episode 177 of the man of screen podcast i am your host mike zumo and in this episode i'm going to cover episode 17 and 18 of season two of the Saul kind produced superboy television show which aired in syndication from 1988 until 1992 i'm going to be talking about the episodes brimstone and abandoned earth and unfortunately uh this show was not made with my podcast in mind as abandoned earth is the First part of a two-episode story in which Superboy thinks he has met his birth parents and is made to leave Earth. So we have that to look forward to in the back half of this episode. The first episode is a standalone story, not related to the second part. But before I get to any of that, I have feedback to address. Feedback, as always, is from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen, episode 166. Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. Like you, I enjoy time travel stories, and there are a couple of aspects of Mutant that I liked. One was the idea that the quote-unquote normal-looking woman, Vora, was actually the, the mutant, viewed with suspicion in her own time, and the alien-looking guys were, in their own time, the quote-unquote normals. That was a nice little twist, I thought. I also enjoyed the idea that the resolution in that future time isn't shown to us viewers. A lot of shows might have had a coda at the end, showing Vora's success or failure after returning to her own time. But I think, since Superboy and the rest of the 20th century characters can't know what will happen, it is appropriate to leave the viewers in the dark as well. Everyone can imagine for themselves what happens. On a side note, we listeners to the podcast get to do a little time traveling when you talk about what was going on in quote-unquote real life back when you recorded this episode. For example, the then-recent death of George Floyd. And knowing what you didn't then about what things would be like when the episode actually dropped, like continued racial unrest and reopening of schools in the face of COVID-19. Also, like you, I enjoyed the more rough-and-tumble Jonathan Kent in Phantom of the Third Division. Even though he knows that not much is going to hurt Clark, and that Clark is not going to let Lon and TJ get hurt, Pa Kent is not going to stand by and watch while someone threatens Clark and his friends. This also helps sell the idea of Jonathan as a soldier in the war. I also like the idea that he wants to help his army buddy, whose scars are more emotional and psychological than physical. That fits most portrayals of Pa Kent I've seen as well. Overall, I think I'm enjoying Season 1 more than you are, but... I'm looking forward in a while to seeing what season two brings. I hope you and your family remain safe and well. Live long and prosper, Dave. Well, as always, uh, thank you, Dave, for writing in. Yeah, I enjoy time travel stories. It's kind of funny, uh, Dave, mentioning that uh, a lot of shows might have had a coda. Uh, one of the recent episodes that I talked about, Superboy Rest in Peace, kind of had bookends with uh, the future. We find in the future, after they find the device that Serene buried, that we do get a coda in that episode. Actually, that episode almost kind of takes place in the future when you think about it, as uh, the episode was kind of bookended by the two future scenes, and we see at the end there that Serene succeeded in her mission. Of course, we're seeing that the scientists find that out. But yeah, I am as far as Vora's success or failure, you know, I am not sure I necessarily cared about whether Vora was successful or not. And it is appropriate to leave the, the viewers in the dark. I'm not sure anybody was clamoring to find out. Yeah, the uh, listens to the podcast get to do a little bit of time traveling. It's not really 
severe time traveling. I'm only really recording episodes two months or so in advance. So it's not that long ago. I'm recording this episode on August 16th, and it's scheduled to release the last weekend in October. So it's only about two months, not really a long time in the grand scheme of things. I mean, when you think about it, here I am writing and reading a letter about the end of season one, when I myself am approaching the end of season two. And as far as uh, Phantom of the Third Division, well, obviously, uh, we both enjoy the rough and tumble, Jonathan. I mean, yeah, Pa Ken is not going to stand by and watch, but, and I believe I said this during the episode, I'm not sure, uh, and I even mentioned it too in the uh, Revenge of the Alien story, I'm not sure, you know, Eddie Jones with Jonathan Kent is going to mix it up physically. I don't know how much it sells the idea of Jonathan as a soldier in the war, being that Jonathan is, I mean, how old do we think Jonathan is? When you say Jonathan's in his 50s here, I guess? I'm not sure. I mean, I can see him helping his, wanting to help his army, buddy. That's definitely Jonathan Kent thing. But I'm not sure, you know, Jonathan mixing it up with these uh, street-level uh, tough guys is uh, really sells him as a soldier in the war. It just sells him as somebody who uh, is willing to defend Clark and his friends. So, As far as my enjoyment of season one goes, I really wasn't not enjoying it. I will not deny that I'm enjoying season two far more, but I definitely enjoyed the second half of season one far more than I did the first. These ep- those episodes were of a higher quality, and and as uh, you already know from listening to the episode on the finale, I really gushed over the season one finale, Luthor Unleashed. So that's that. Thank you, Dave, for writing in. I'd like to hear from you two as well, and Dave has said in the past that he would like to hear from other listeners as well, so you can uh, write in and join the fun, manascreen at gmail.com, or you can leave uh, Facebook comments in the Man of Screen podcast Facebook group under the episode posting, or in the Two True Freaks podcast group, the two main places where I post the episode, and I will read them on future episodes. Or you can even leave me a Apple podcast review. That Those always help as well. So right now I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo when I come back. Start this episode off with Brimstone. Hang around, folks. Annual Halloween party canceled. Haunted House shut down this season. Then come to the house party that no force can stop. The House of Frankenstein. The Supermates are throwing their annual bash no matter what and inviting some of your favorite horror stars. Lon Chaney Jr. Anyone who enters here without my permission will be considered a trespasser. Lionel Atwell. By heaven, I think you're a worse fiend than your father. Christopher Lee. Don't use long words, Inspector. They don't suit you. Evil and anchors. We haven't been able to contact Count Alucard so far. Peter Cushing. I've told you before there are times when you shouldn't be alone. Bela Lugosi. He's mine. He don't belong to you. You go away. Barbara Shelley. There have been seven murders committed in the forest of Bandorf in the past five years. Basil Rathbone. But of course I know who did. Haven't you heard? The monster. <laughs> Kiefer Sutherland. Maggots, Michael. You're eating maggots. How do they taste? And Boris Karloff. <laughs> Plus a few party crashers. Notice anything unusual about Santa Carla yet? No, it's a pretty cool place. If you're a Martian or a vampire. And some amazing friends. Dragon poor thing. Let them take care of your friends, my dear. <laughs> I'll take the robot, you take the wolf thing. Good. I've always had a way with animals. 
So RSVP to fireandwaterpodcast.com, iTunes, or Spotify, and don't miss the one Halloween party you can count on to be scary in a good way. Not the 2020 way. The House of Frankenstein. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to start this episode off with Brimstone. Original broadcast date was February 10th, 1990. This episode was directed by Andre R. Gutfriend. I think that's how his name is said. And this episode was written by Mike Carlin and Andy Helfer. Guest cast includes Philip Michael Thomas as Brimstone. Philip Michael Thomas is uh, best known as Detective Richard Tubbs on Miami Vice. Carlos Sestero as Proto. Mark McCauley as the Maniac. And Tony Carone as the Commanding Cop. And Michael Leppard as the Security Guard. And our synopsis is brought to you by TV.com. Lana and Andy are selling fake kryptonite at the ballpark when a crazed man with a scarred face makes his way through the crowd, attacking people. He scratches Andy and then is shot by the police. Unfazed by the bullet, the man gets back up and jumps into the sewers, leaving the carnage he created. Clark arrives and takes a look around. Then, a man on a motorcycle arrives and is stopped by a policeman when he crosses the crime scene tape. Whoa. Hold it right there, Rambo. Sorry, sir. Come on in. Excuse me. I'd like to examine the boy, if you don't mind. <laughs> Wait, do, do I have a say in this? Just relax. It really tastes quite pleasant. Uh, no, 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 I'm sorry. My regular doctor, he told me that I couldn't eat anything blue. I, it's just... Wait, a- wait a minute. Please, I'm a doctor. I mean your friend no harm. It's okay, Andy. Ah, you say that tastes good? I'm not gonna come to your house for lunch. He's gonna be all right. Excuse me, I have other people to tend to. Wait, it doesn't taste good. Don't believe him. What, what exactly are you, are you doing here? And what is that stuff that you're giving these people? Powerful medicine to cure most powerful disease. Disease? What are you talking about? That madman was under the spell of an evil proto and cursed to an eternity of suffering. And those people scarred by the madman would be damned as well. What's a proto? A sorcerer with the power to control life and death. These people would become pawns of the evil proto. Their minds and bodies decayed. And within 24 hours, they would be beyond the help of my medicine. You don't sound like any doctor I've ever met before. You might say I'm a a specialist. I came to the city because my services were needed. Fortunately, I arrived in time to help these people. 
But now I must attack the source of the plague. I know what I'm doing. Trust me. I do. I don't know why, but... I do. Who are you? The crazed man enters an abandoned building, followed by the police and Superboy. Superboy tries to restrain him, but being controlled by Proto through a crystal ball, the man fights. Brimstone arrives, preparing to subdue the man. Proto forces the man to curse Superboy, and he slashes Superboy's face. Brimstone rides by on his motorcycle and shoots the man. The man is relieved to be free of the curse and apologizes to Superboy just before he dies, and then vanishes. Satisfied with his work, Proto sets a plan in motion to destroy Brimstone. Later, Clark has a rude awakening from Proto while asleep at the dorm. When he looks in the mirror, his face is severely scarred like the man that attacked him, tormented by the voice of Proto in his head. Clark changes to Superboy, then flies erratically and crash lands onto the ground. Lana tries to help him. Superboy, are you alright? Lana, get away! Please! I'm not in control! I don't want to hurt you! But look at you! <laughs> oh, wonderful! Oh, yes! Vulnerable to my magics! Under Proto's control, he flies away. Lana goes to see Brimstone, a small, old-style mobile home. But when Lana goes inside, the interior looks like a mansion. I trust you had no problem finding my humble abode. Humble? Maybe from the outside. <laughs> yes, well... Appearances can be deceiving. Now, how can I help you? It's Superboy. Something's happened and he's turned into this... this Becoming like that madman? Yeah. I was afraid something like that might happen. Then you'll be able to help? If I can get to him before nightfall. Otherwise, it'll be too late. those powders for some of these powders can cure superboy and others can kill him wait wait i thought you said you were going to save him what, what, what are you doing mixing magic magicians never tell their secrets young lady trust me If you don't mind, I'd like for you to wait outside. Sure. Thank you. They ride on his motorcycle to find him, and then Superboy flies up behind them and flies them to an abandoned building. Once on the ground, Brimstone blows a magic powder into Superboy's face, and Superboy runs away. While they search for him in the building, he crashes the door into Brimstone, knocking him on the floor, and then Brimstone fires a missile at Superboy and knocks him out. Proto appears. Hold it, Proto! I'm not out of this picture yet! I have already beaten you, Brimstone, just as your father beat mine. Now, I will take...
take my just revenge, old enemy. Superboy appears to be cured for Brimstone's powder. Meanwhile, Brimstone is hurt by Proto's magic. Superboy goes to help. Then Proto grabs Lana. Superboy uses the combination of all Brimstone's magic powders, crushes them, and blows it into Proto's face. Proto falls in agony, then vanishes. You killed him. You didn't kill him. Superboy, he was already dead for over 200 years, only he was too stupid to stay dead. <laughs> Let me tell you, if you didn't know, Superboy, and by extension, Superman was vulnerable to magic coming into watching this show. There's no excuse for you not to know by the time it's over, because this show leans heavily into supernatural forces to challenge Superboy. We've already seen vampires. Now we're seeing whatever a proto is. We're going to see a werewolf, I believe, in season three. So there is some supernatural stuff that can harm Superboy here, and... Uh, so this episode starts off at the ball game. Take me out to the ball game. Well, the ball game is over, and uh, Andy is trying to uh, push some Superboy-related merchandise on the crowd as it leaves. The synopsis says it's fake kryptonite, so I'm going to take uh, TV.com's word for it. The show didn't specify, and uh, I didn't take time to read uh, what was on the boxes. So... As the uh, stadium empties, there's this guy coming through, walking through a little bit like a zombie. He kind of comes through and uh, and claws Andy. And there are three claw marks across Andy's cheek. And, you know, if you've seen enough magical stuff, uh, stuff related to magic where there's infection involved, there does come a time where the infection passes from the infected to the victim. So, meanwhile, the uh, stadium security officer shoots the man who goes down. But when he's approached, uh, the man who... The show list says Maniac is uh, going to get up and leave. So after all the fun is over, Clark shows up and Andy doesn't feel well. And Clark x-rays his neck, mentioning that there were no internal injuries. Uh, then Lana kind of gives him a bizarre look like, huh, what? So oops, he had to correct himself and uh, say that's what the, he heard the paramedics say. So then after that a meaningful exchange, there is a, here comes a dude on a nice looking motorcycle. Dressed for it, too, with his uh, all-black uh, boots and uh, leather uh, leather pants. He's definitely uh, dressed for the big rally in Sturgis, uh, South Dakota. And uh, right off the bat, I'm guessing this is Brimstone. And at first, I thought he was hunting whatever that monster was. But we're going to find out later that uh, he's actually hunting Proto, which is in control of uh, the monsters. There aren't too many monsters in this episode. Just the uh, initial maniac and uh, Superboy for a short time. So... Brimstone has some kind of magical power that he's able to uh, convince the cop to let him in. I don't know if it's mind control or hypnosis or just a powerful suggestion, which I guess would be hypnosis and mind control. But either way, he gets the cop to uh, let him in. He uh, tries to treat Andy with a blue substance, 
and Andy doesn't want it. Well, understandably so. Here's some guy uh, dressed in all leather handing you some blue uh, drink that you've never heard of. I'm not sure I'd want to take it either, but apparently uh, the blue stuff tastes horrible. Andy complains about it, although he does start to feel better. <laughs> and as Brimstone, and this is, like I mentioned, this is Brimstone. And as Brimstone uh, is carted off, he uh, yells to the people that Brimstone is helping that the medicine doesn't taste very good. Honestly, I've never drank a medicine that did taste very good. And again, Brimstone calls the blue stuff medicine. And the scratches are curses. If you don't get the uh, medicine, you will be damned for all eternity. You'd best take your medicine. And I'm very impressed with how Brimstone here is uh, very cooperative by giving Lana, and by extension us, all the necessary uh, exposition. And this is where Lana learns that he's tracking a creature he calls a proto. And there's his name, Brimstone, on the business card there, there with a phone number that appears on it. And he calls himself a friend, because we all have to ape the 1978 Christopher Reeve Superman movie. Clark seems quite suspicious of him as he shoots Brimstone uh, quite a dirty look as he walks away. Now, in the next scene, Superboy is going to show up to uh, start working on the problem here. He kind of finds the maniac who had just been contacted by Proto through a crystal ball and kind of banging his head on the wall. So Superboy makes an attempt to uh, capture the maniac who Superboy just kind of throws to the side very easily. And it's hard to tell what's going on here the way this scene is staged because I'm not sure who the cops are holding the guns on. If they're holding the guns on Superboy or the maniac. And the maniac is losing his mind in the attempt to fight uh, the Proto's influence. He doesn't succeed, though, but he does manage to uh, scratch Superboy as Brimstone shows up and uh, freed the maniac from Proto's influence, basically by killing him. And the maniac, once he's unpossessed, we don't find out anything about him, including his real name. He is relieved to be free of the uh, of the curse and thanks somebody and is happy to die. You, you know, he, he kind of just melts. And all that's left of him is uh, the suit that he was wearing. So whatever Brimstone uh, deployed there is uh, powerful stuff. And it's unclear right here at the moment whether Superboy has been infected or if he can be infected. Uh, he's showing no signs yet, even though he's surprised at the fact that he's bleeding. And there are three scratch marks kind of down his face. Not all, I don't want to say off-camera, but definitely off-site. Proto is saying that Superboy will be his by tomorrow, but I'm kind of unclear that... I thought at first Brimstone was there. Um, maybe he just shot the maniac and drove off. Maybe he didn't notice that Superboy was infected. I figured, you know, he could just give Superboy the uh, the blue medicine and just uh, solve the problem right then and there. Maybe he's out of it. I don't know. But apparently, uh, Superboy is caught in the middle of this war between Brimstone and Proto. So the next morning, Clark's alarm is going off in his dorm room, and he handles it the way I want to handle it every morning, basically by pounding it into uh, a million pieces. And as soon as he turns over, we find out that he's under the influence of Proto because his face is all scarred up. And apparently, uh, he must have been so tired that he slept in his clothes. Because I can't imagine going to bed in uh, wearing a Superboy costume underneath his clothes, just saying. And he's fighting it and tearing the room apart in the process. And... Fortunately, uh, I guess Andy has an ace bandage laying around, and he uses it to uh, wrap up his face. So his powers are somewhat out of control right here as he flies out of his window and into a field, and of course, Lana, right into uh, where Lana is, and she's going to get Superboy some help. I figured she was going to call just call Brimstone because at some point, Brimstone's phone number appeared on the card, but nope. Or maybe she does, and we just don't see it because she uh, shows up at... What well, looks to be Brimstone's uh, trailer it almost looks like a, a camper, which is apparently uh, quite larger on the inside. And all of a sudden, 
Stacey Heideck is a Doctor Who companion going into the TARDIS for the first time because she does what every person who goes into the TARDIS does right after they go in and see the inside, which is so much larger than the uh, blue police box. She goes back out and looks at the uh, trailer and sees how small it is, and then she sees the uh, ornate home inside, which is much larger than uh, what is outside. So apparently this must be a Brimstone's traveling motor office. I guess uh, maybe there's a garage built into this trailer. I don't know. So we're going to learn here that Brimstone has to get to Superboy by nightfall, and he has several powders with him. Some can help Superboy, and others will kill him. I guess he has to be prepared for all necessary possibilities. And in this scene, Brimstone basically admits to being a magician as well, so it is clear that he fights in the ways of magic as well, not just Proto. He asks uh, Lana to go outside while he uh, mixes up his potions. I guess so he can work and then put on his uh, ghost hunting armor. And now they're on the motorcycle, and uh, basically, uh, as uh, Brimstone is giving more exposition, Superboy picks them up and drops them in uh, like some kind of warehouse or a power plant. Either way, it's abandoned, and he basically says he's going to take them to Proto. Well, Brimstone's having none of that, and he sprays Superboy with a purple mist because, you know, when you're being uh, controlled by a possessed Superboy, you want to have some purple mist around. And then there's a very minuscule fight inside this warehouse, uh, Superboy knocks down a door on top of Brimstone, but he escapes it. And this is the point where we learn that apparently uh, Superboy has stumbled onto a bit of a family feud here as Brimstone's father defeated Proto's father 200 years ago. Well, actually, it doesn't say that now. We find that 200 years ago later. So Superboy is quickly down for the count. It's unclear if what Brimstone did had any effect, whether it stopped the curse. And while Superboy is... Uh, unconscious this is really the battle that brimstone wants anyway and uh somehow lana has figured out that superboy is cured i'm not sure how she knew that through the ace bandage on superboy's face and i guess the ace bandage served the purpose of uh keeping uh the producers from having to uh, spend money uh scarring up gerard christopher's beautiful face but eventually superboy recovers and uh, now it's time to help brimstone so of course the uh, the proto goes after lana which every villain does it gets kind of tiresome, but it is what it is. But Brimstone throws his belt to Superboy and says, use the magic powders. Kind of dangerous that Superboy has no idea how to use them, which he admits. So he does what anyone would do in that situation. He crunches them all together and blows them in his enemy's face. Fortunately, it works as Proto melts like the Wicked Witch of the West. And uh, Lana points out that he killed Proto. And uh, we get the arresting Gerard Christopher guilt face, which you're going to see quite a bit throughout the course of the show. And uh, Brimstone points out that Proto was already dead for 200 years and was too stupid to stay that way. I don't know, judging by the body of work, I'm not sure Proto was too stupid, but after that's over, Brimstone disappears and the episode ends. Rather abruptly, we don't even get our end, uh, our little ending scene, just the guest star disappears and the episode's over. And it's not a bad episode. It's kind of a by-the-numbers magic episode. I would have loved to know more about Brimstone and more about his feud with Proto. I mean, he had mentioned Proto was dead for 200 years. Was Brimstone dead just as long? Have they been feuding for that long? Apparently, the show is unwilling to give us that information or didn't have the time to. I mean, again, only 22-minute episode. I'm not sure there's enough story here for 44 minutes, but it does tell us the story, but leaves leaves me wanting some more. And looking ahead at, uh, at Philip Michael Thomas's uh, IMDb, he does not appear in any future episode of Superboy as Brimstone, so while I wouldn't mind seeing more of him, we will not. 
and which is disappointing because I enjoyed this episode more than I thought I would. I'm not generally a big fan of the magical episodes, but this one was pretty good. So now I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo. When I come back, abandon Earth. Hang around, folks. Hi, I'm John Wilson. And I'm Michael Kaiser. And we're the hosts of the podcast, Make Ours Marvel. You know, here we are in 2018, 10 years into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Can you believe we live in a world where everyone's old Aunt Petunia knows who Iron Man is? It's crazy, right? So, to celebrate, we're on a mission to explore the roots of the Marvel Universe. You know you've thought about it. Some of you may have even done it. And now we're going to do it, too. We're diving back into the long boxes of Marvel's history and podcasting our way through the whole universe. All of it. Every superhero issue. And, if I can convince Mike, we'll even do Sergeant Fury. And it's not going to be one issue per episode. That'd take forever. (laughs) It's still going to take forever. But no, we're going to talk about as many comics as we can in an hour. Yep, an hour and, you know, maybe a little change. Every week, Marvel Comics. So it'd be super cool if you came along for the ride. Look for us every Friday at MakeOursMarvel.com. That's MakeOursMarvel.com. Or on iTunes and all the other usual podcasty places. And if you want to read along with us and send us your thoughts, we might even read emails. So until Avengers Infinity War gets a spin-off Warlock and the Infinity Watch TV show, Make Ours Marvel. All right, welcome back, folks. Going to finish this episode off with Abandoned Earth. Original broadcast date was February 17th, 1990. This is episode 18 of season two. It was directed by Richard J. Lewis, written by Carrie Bates and Mark Jones. Guest cast includes Stuart Whitman as Jonathan Kent, Salome Jens as Martha Kent, George Lazenby, famous for playing James Bond in In Her Majesty's Secret Service, as Jorel. Britt Eklund as Lara. She was a, a Bond girl opposite Roger Moore. She was Good Night in The Man with the Golden Gun. Ken Grant was Officer Campbell. Emily Lester as Officer Woods. Eric Whitmore as the first police officer. Michael Preston as the second police officer. DJ Kosar as the FBI agent. Michael H. Moss as the terrorist. Steve Lashaw as the newsman. And Bob Wells as the newscaster. Not to be... Uh, Confused with the, new, the newsman. And our synopsis is brought to you by TV.com. During the night hours, two transport portals appear, containing two beings. They appear to be Cal's parents, Jorel and Lara. Not knowing what to make of it, two police officers try to confront them. Jorel and Lara tell them they are there to claim their son, who people call Superboy. At home in Smallville, Clark celebrates his birthday with the Kents. Superboy. All right, Mom, what kind of a surprise have you got for Clark? Aha. Oh, <laughs> it's chocolate. He doesn't like chocolate cake. Oh, mm-hmm. no. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday, darling. Yeah, make a wish now. Thank you. Okay, I got it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you remember your first birthday cake? You had one candle. 
You were no bigger than knee-high to a grasshopper. But that didn't stop you from blowing it out from across the room. <laughs> you remember? I remember I didn't do too well. Oh, yes, you did. You blew it out all right. Along with the whole fudge cake, it ended up all over my chiffon drapes. <laughs> <laughs> and then you tried to clean them up. With your heat vision. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was just a lousy aim. Oh, well, yeah. fortunately, your father was able to put out the fire before it spread. <laughs> <laughs> I want a big piece. Mm, so good. Hello. Oh, hi, honey. It's Lana. She's calling from Schuster. Oh. Yeah? She wants you to turn on the news clock and then contact Superboy. names of Jorel and Laura. The two aliens landed sometime yes, last night in Smallville, Kansas. According to two eyewitness reports from Smallville police officers, the aliens landed in what appeared to be glass capsules. The alien man and woman, claiming to be Superboy's parents, interrupted the town council in session. This must be some kind of they joke. They said they had searched Jonathan? the galaxy for their son for yes, many Lana, years. Yes, he sees it. We all see and it. said they had nothing against the You'll human get the race, message to Superboy, but told right? that he was born to a higher destiny. The alien couple at last report was seen flying toward Penhall Park. We'll bring you further details as they develop. We now resume our regularly scheduled programming. And now the Smallville Farm Report. Whoever they are, I can't let them do any more damage. I've got to get to the bottom of this. Be careful, Clark. I always am, Ma. Soybeans held steady throughout the week, finishing up at 73 cents a bushel. Jonathan, is it here? Is the day the day we always dreaded would come? Today is Thursday, Martha. So far, that's that's all we know. In town, Jarrell and Lara lose patience with the townspeople for not producing Superboy. As tensions mount, Superboy arrives, and he learns who those beings are to him. I'm Superboy. Kal-El. What did you call me? The name you were given when you were born. I never thought I'd see you again. You look well, my son. Son? Look at us, Kal-El. Look at us very closely. There's something about your faces. You were taken from us when you were a baby. I'm your father, Jarrell, and this is your mother, Lara. We've traveled through the depths of time and space in search of you. Somehow you do look familiar. An infant never forgets. An instinct from the deepest recesses of its mind tells them that we are from the same blood, my son. Back at the Kent farm, the Kent's resentment towards Superboy's birth parents is apparent. But they try to be understanding. It's only natural that you and your wife are experiencing feelings of jealousy and sadness at this time. I mean, you've loved and nurtured him for many years. And for that, we'll be eternally grateful. Kalel has been very fortunate. His name is Clark. We named him Clark. I was hoping the four of you would meet and become friends. Ma, Pa, I didn't mean to hurt you. I love you both. Please try to understand. I have to spend some time with them. 
We will, Clark. We'll, we'll try to understand. We'll wait for you, son. Do what you've got to do. Mother, have we lost our son? In town, terrorists hold the town hall hostage and demand to speak to the governor, otherwise, blowing up the building with a nuclear device. The FBI arrives to assist the police, but can't do anything until their tactical team arrives. Superboy arrives to help. Then, to everyone's surprise, so do his parents. They go inside and work together to stop the terrorists and defuse the bomb. During a news interview following the incident... And we are live at Town Hall, having just witnessed the incredible feat by three super-powered people. Superboy, can we just ask you a few questions about the people that are with you? Yes, I'd like to introduce two people that are very special to me. My parents. Well, you've frightened a lot of people. Any comments? Well, I would like to apologize to the people of planet Earth for our earlier behavior and express our sincere thanks for giving our son a place to grow up on. And we wish a warm welcome to the people of planet Earth. And I can't think of a more fitting moment than to share this wonderful news with you. Uh, we're going to take our son home with us back to the planet of his birth a planet called krypton well when will you be leaving superboy soon i have a few very special people that i need to say goodbye to first wggn's live action cam will be keeping you up when to he comes to say goodbye on the super family's exciting that'll be the last time in we see news, him smallville fire department raised over you're right mother at their annual mud wrestling marathon this is the day we always dreaded Meanwhile, Superboy takes his parents to his personal fortress-like hideaway. I carved this out of the granite deposit myself. This is where I come when I want to get away from everything. When I fuse the walls with my heat vision, they turn out like this. This is my hideaway. And not even the Kents know about it. This is where I come when I want to be alone with my thoughts. Lara, where does this remind you of? Krypton. Do you think that's why I built this place? And why I feel so at home here? It's possible, son. When are we leaving? Today. Today? Well, then I'll have to say my goodbyes to the kids right away. Well, that won't be necessary. You see, we've already contacted them, and they're going to meet us at our ship. They insisted on seeing you off in person. That sounds just like Mom and Pa Kent. There's still so many things I have to ask you to. About why we were separated. And where you were all those years we were apart. We wanted to know everything, Kala. But now is not the time. There'll be lots of time for questioning on the voyage home. Home? 
I like the sound of that. At the can home, Jonathan is deeply worried. Jonathan, stop fretting. You heard what Clark said on TV. He wouldn't leave without saying goodbye to us. He'll be by. Sure, but he's taking his own sweet time about it, isn't he? Hi, Ma. Pa. Ah. I would have come by sooner, but so much is going on. I can't stay too long. It's your new parents. I imagine they're taking much of your time. We saw them on the news. They said you were taking off from Ebertsfield today. I know, that's why I came over as quickly as I could. I figured it'd be easier on us if we said our goodbyes here. I don't suppose there's any chance of talking you out of this, is there? I must go to Krypton, Pa. Jarrell and Laura are correct. I owe it to myself to know who I am and to see where I'm from. Well, you are a boy. Don't ever forget that. I won't forget, Pa. You will come back. Krypton is where I was born. The Earth is my home. I'll be back. In the dorm with Schuster, Lana supposedly received a message from Clark to meet him in his and Andy's room. Lara blows down the door and zaps them both unconscious. Back at the Ken farm, Jonathan's gut tells him that something is wrong, and he and Martha rush to the takeoff site. As onlookers and news crews prepare to see the takeoff, Superboy is talking to the cats back at the farm. Of course we're going to miss you something fierce, Clark. But if seeing this Krypton of yours you feel is important, then we want you to go. With our blessing... Just promise us that you'll be back someday. You know I'll be back, Ma. I love you and Pa too much to stay away forever. Don't forget that. We won't forget. We love you too. After he says his goodbyes and flies away, the Kents shapeshift into Jorah and Lyra. At the takeoff site, Superboy and his parents are stepping into the transport pods as the Kents drive up and desperately try to get to him. The police hold the Kents back until they have taken off. The Kents are devastated. Oh, Jonathan, it's too late. We're too late. Oh, Martha, I've got that god-awful feeling that I will never see our boy again. So, apparently, uh, you know, I noticed this for the first time when the credits are rolled at the beginning of the episode after the opening sequence. Stuart Whitman is a special guest star. I guess he's a slightly bigger name than some of the others, uh, and that was worked into his contract. Apparently, uh, Brick, Britt Eklund is a special appearance. I don't know what makes her appearance so special, but there it is. Everybody else are just standard uh, guest stars. And the first thing we see in this episode are uh, Lazenby and Eklund doing their best to look like Marlon Brando and Susanna York from Superman the movie. They show up in these two kind of uh, glass cylinders that uh, vanish as soon as they uh, step out of them. I don't know what they do with them. Do they put them in their pockets or into some kind of pocket universe? But either way, as soon as they're done with them, they're gone. And there's this one woman cop in the vehicle that is in disbelief, and she's pretty glad that uh, her partner saw it as well. <laughs> I guess she 
had a bad feeling that she might have been going crazy. So Jarrell uses some super voice and says he wants Kal-El, which I believe is the first time his real Superboy's real name has been used in this show. I don't recall having heard it at any other time. So this is a cake for Clark's birthday. And I believe this is the first time we've seen the inside of the Kent home. And uh, this sequence here of uh, the Kent's uh, laughing and enjoying themselves at the table here. This is shown in, uh, in the opening sequence of, of a seasons three and four when uh, the opening narration uh, mentions that he was found by a Kansas family. After the shot of the windmill, it dissolves into this shot of the Kent's uh, and Clark talking at the table. And I love one that Clark is home for his birthday while everyone else is still in college. And I, I just love this story about how baby Clark uh, blew his birthday cake all over the uh, the drapes and that they had to clean it up. It just, you know, it's not much. It's a little detail. It's just, a, you know, a funny little story that, you know, that is one of the trials and tribulations you'd have if you had a super baby. That at one years old, he would be able to control his abilities and he would blow a birthday cake all over the house. And I think they also said he tried to clean it with heat vision and burn the drapes or something. But, you know, that would have been the kind of thing I'd wanted to see in one of those Superman family album stories on the uh, on the Ruby Spears show. Forget uh, Clark being a brat at Cub Scout camp. Show me baby Clark blowing the cake and burning the drapes on his first birthday. Come on. That's far more entertaining than Clark being an ass. So... Lana calls to tell them to turn on the television because there's something on the news, and uh, Clark is going to show some extreme laziness and uh, basically use his super breath to turn on the television. Now, some of you whippersnappers from back in the day don't realize that there was a time when you actually had to go to the television to turn it on. This is apparently that kind of set. So Clark is one of the first remote controls using super breath to... uh, Push the button to turn the television on. It's a good thing he didn't blow it out the window. I guess he has more control than one-year-old Clark did. So they see this report of Jor-El and Lara coming to uh, get Superboy, and there is this sudden uh, look of concern on their face. Apparently, this is something they've been worried about ever since finding Clark, that uh, eventually that maybe his uh, parents would eventually show up and want him back. Well, here he is, 18 or so years later, they want him back. Ma shows most of the concern. Pa is concerned as well, despite not wanting to show it. Martha asks him, is this this today? And he says, nah, 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 it's Thursday. It's not that day yet. So he's, you know, I don't know if he's in denial, but he he doesn't want to admit to himself that it could be that day. At least not yet. So meanwhile, Jor-El is pissed. And apparently there's some kind of monument to Superboy in Smallville Park, big S on it. Now, the big clue that something is wrong right off the bat, as he says that the world has stolen Kal-El, which we know that's not how it worked. Kal-El was rocketed to Earth by his father to save him from the planet's destruction. So that's something's not right here to say the world has stolen Kal-El. It didn't. Jor-El sent him. So already we know something's not right. Now, Superboy seems to remember their faces, but he wasn't. Uh, and it is quite possible that there is some kind of imprint on, on an infant on their parents' faces. So he seems to remember their faces. But obviously, there's no way to know for him to know for sure as he was just a baby. He does not have a super recall that the Silver Race Superman did. So now Superboy is in a difficult position, kind of caught between his quote-unquote, who he thinks are his real parents, Jarrell and Lara, who are calling him Cal, and that's how he kind of learns what his name is. And Jonathan is very adamant that his name is Clark. And, uh, you know, understandable that Superboy wants to spend time with them. He... 
thinks they're his real parents, that look like his real parents. He didn't know his real parents. So it's natural that even if it's hard for the Kents to accept because they raised him for all of his life, that, yeah, there's curiosity there. He wants to know who his parents were. And I don't think this show ever gives him an answer about why he was sent to Earth. And it's interesting that the lie is being planted in a great deal of truth. We know Jorel and Lara are his parents, but at the same time, we know he wasn't taken but sent to Earth to be safe. So that's what, that's what you do when you're trying to sell a lie. You plant just enough truth in there to make it believable. I'm not necessarily sure why uh, he needs that truth, but I guess that's more for us, the viewers, because we know who Jorel and Lara are. We know his name is Kal-El, even if he doesn't know these things. So I wonder if a lot of that is for our benefit, trying to get us to buy that these people are Jorel and Lara. So now we have this assault on a town hall, and uh, this terrorist wants to talk to the governor. If he wants to talk to the governor, I don't know why he's uh, holding up Smallville Town Hall. Maybe because plot, basically. <laughs> Apparently they're making a nuclear threat in Smallville, and it's going to be a half hour before the military shows up because the military uh, doesn't often show up in uh, Smallville. Superboy will show up here with uh, mom and dad, and uh, all the feds can do is sit there with their mouths open. You know, they'll let Superboy go in and handle the terrorists, but who are these people here in these uh, white jumpsuits? And uh, they're not so trusting of Darrell and Lara. But Superboy vouches for them, so they're fine. They're like, okay, Mr. Superboy, if, if you say it is your mommy and your daddy, then that's fine. You take them right in, and you clean these terrorists out. And... We, the feds, will sit here and scratch ourselves till you're done. So, Jarrell, Lara, and uh, Superboy, Team L here, goes in and uh, cleans out the terrorists. Both Jarrell and Superboy blow down this door. I'm not sure this office building has a door so strong that it required both of them to blow it down, but whatever. They're doing very well throwing these terrorists around. And uh, here's this uh, head guy holding whoever this is hostage. And uh, he brags because his titanium casing is so strong that his heat vision can't do anything. And they're like... Oh, yeah? Well, let's see if we got three. Set the heat vision, and uh, that takes care of that. So uh, Superboy and family have uh, taken care of the problem. Superboy cures the radiation leak. And now we're having a press conference. Yay! So Martha and Jonathan are sitting there watching the news of the terrorists wrap up with uh, very concerned looks on their faces. And uh, Jarrell uh, drops a bombshell that they're taking their son home. Moo? What? Hello, what's going on here? And... Superboy acts as though they've discussed this because he shows no surprise here whatsoever. He just kind of rolls with it. And uh, this uh, kind of brings me back to the birthday scene a little bit because let's call a spade a spade here. This show may be called Superboy, but come on. It's really young Superman. He's an adult. Mom and dad can't just show up and say, we're taking you home, son. No questions asked, which is kind of what they do. Because let's do a little bit of math here. He's in college. If the show is progressing in real time, and there's kind of no reason to assume that it isn't, no real reason to assume that it is either, but time has passed. It is unclear to me if, and but it was clear at the beginning of this season that it was at the very least the beginning of a new semester, maybe even a new school year, as for whatever reason, T.J. White is gone and is now working in his father's paper. We don't know the... Well, we know the real world reason why there's no T.J. White. Jim Calvert was not asked back to the show for the second season, so they had to write out T.J. So could T.J. have graduated? It's definitely possible. Maybe T.J. 
was a little bit older than Clark. But let's say for argument's sake, this is Clark's second year in college. He's probably around 19 or 20. In the season finale, Rite of Passage, it is established that Clark landed 20 years ago that day. And that could be two years from now. And the Christopher Reeves Superman was three years old when he landed on Earth. So, say Clark was quote-unquote adopted at three. If this were 18 years later, he's about 21, maybe. Somewhere between 18 and 20. So somewhere between 18 and 21. So, he's an adult, even though we're calling him Superboy. He should have more agency than this story is giving him. He's not a child. I mean, I can understand maybe if this was like a 13-year-old Superboy, it's a little bit different. But at his age, he should have a little bit more choice in the matter. And to be honest, also, this newscast is a very shitty way to uh, for the Kents to find out about this. And uh, the Kents are facing the reality they will never see Clark again. And I'm sure if it were his decision, Clark would handle this far differently. So Next, we're going to find something we've never seen before, that Superboy has carved out a secret hideaway that not even the Kents knew about. And this is his special place. He doesn't say it, but it's kind of like his Fortress of Solitude. And Jorel and Lara say it reminds them of Krypton. That part I think they just make up. And apparently he keeps uh, souvenirs here. You, you can definitely see the cross in the background from Run Dracula Run. And there's something else in there that I couldn't identify right off the bat. So He's got a little bit of a trophy room. They probably just built a set and stuck a couple props on it. But the cross from Run Dracula Run is definitely uh, very obvious. So Jorel and Lara tell uh, Superboy they took the liberty of telling Mom and Pa Ken already about their Voyage across the stars, okay. More red flags, and things are starting to become very little suspicious. And then they say on the, uh, they'll do something on the way home, and Superboy likes the sound of that. Uh, no, Superboy, this is your home. So let me go back to the Ken farm, and it does not look as though Joel and Lara have contacted them at all. And all of a sudden, here's Clark saying that he owes it to himself to see his home. And he's not wrong, and he reassures them that he will be back. And he does acknowledge that the Earth is being his home. So there's that. Jonathan finds something odd about Clark here. And I started thinking about that as I finished watching the episode. The very next scene is Lara attacking Andy and Lana alone. And we find out that Jarell and Lara, when I know they're not Jarell and Lara, but I'm just kind of calling them that to kind of the best way to reference them at this point. We do at some point see Jarell and Lara pose as mom and pa. So after I saw that, my mind kind of went back to this meeting with, with Clark and the Kents, and I wonder if this is uh, Jor-El posing as Clark. It doesn't show either way, but if that's the case, it definitely lends some credence to Jonathan's bad feelings. And he's still finding something off, and uh, Martha says it's because Jonathan doesn't want him to go, which that's probably part of it, but something is not sitting right, and it's more than just losing his son. And uh, there's nothing private about this uh, matter either. Superboy's departure is going to be live on television in this field, very public. And now we see Superboy talking to the Kents. Jonathan says they're seeing Krypton is important. They support him, which is something the Kents would would say. So you can almost buy that. They're the Kents. And they're talking to Clark in his Superboy garb, and he tells them that he'll be back. And then we see the truth here that Mom and Pa were uh, Joel and Lyra posing as them, which, again, sends me back to the scene where Clark talked to his parents, and I kind of wondered if that's if that was Jorel and not actually Clark. This whole thing is a manipulation by these people claiming to be Jorel and Lara, who we both know are dead. So now the real mom and pa show up. They kind of drive up in the truck as Superboy uh, 
and his parents uh, disappear into those little uh, glass tubes that Jor-El and Lara showed up in. Now there's the third one for Superboy. And you get a little smirk from Jor-El as they vanish. And now all of a sudden, Jonathan is worried that he'll never see Clark again as the episode ends. I should tell Pa not to worry. It's all in the title of the next episode, Escape to Earth. So there's going to be an escape. So I like that episode. It was very well done. It's the kind of episode that I think would probably work better if you're not up on Superman lore, because if you're not, you can probably buy into Jor-El and Lara being Superboy's parents. Now, again, I've just I've discussed it from the point of view of not knowing Superman lore. If you do, well, then you well know that everyone's being manipulated, and the viewing of this episode can get kind of frustrating because no one else sees it. I mean, it's obvious that it's overwhelming for Superboy and the others to suddenly have his parents thrust on him, but I would have liked to have seen a little more skepticism because we know they're not who they say they are. But I guess we'll have to wait until next week to see how uh, this turns out. Or if you have the DC app or some other access to this show, you can watch the next part right now, which I really wanted to do, but I wanted to get this episode recorded first. So next time, Escape to Earth and Superstar. Until then, if you want to... Send in some feedback. It's always welcome. Manascreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the discussion over in the Facebook group, just put Manascreen Podcast to your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Manascreencast. Until next time, folks, we're all on the same team. Good night. The Manascreen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com and you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.